What's going on, everybody? My name is Jack Bender from Bar for Bar. Welcome back to another interview. Today, uh, I'm really excited for this one. This is one of the this is the first interview we have with someone who's not exclusively in hip hop or or rap. This is Elijah Gilmore, classical jazz artist, composer, producer, multi instrumentalist from Cleveland, Ohio. Now based in Atlanta, Georgia. You can actually check out his debut studio album, Return to Zen, available everywhere now. He also recently worked with Missouri-born jazz musician Joe McBride on his most recent record, Looking for a Change, which is also available everywhere you can stream music. Elijah, welcome on, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. It's an honor so, to be on your show. I would like to make one quick correction. Yeah. Uh, Atlanta is my second home. I'm still based here in Cleveland. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Okay. That's nice. Okay. But I do a lot of work in Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And it, we'll get into, um, I'm going I'm to get into something later. You know, you've worked with a lot of different artists, many of whom are based in Atlanta, actually based in Atlanta. So that's actually, that's a, that's good to mention, important to touch on eventually. Uh, but for, first and foremost, I want to ask you, because Cleveland is most known as, you know, being the birthplace of rock and roll. And a lot of people may not be aware that jazz, even though it was born in New Orleans, it has really, really heavy roots in Cleveland, Ohio, too. So, you know, growing up in Cleveland, how did your love and appreciation for class classical jazz kind of blossom? You know, and how did that passion eventually translate into you, you know, first pursuing a full time career in this and then getting your feet wet and then making it a full time career? Tell us about that background. OK, uh Coming up, my mom and my father played a lot of different various styles of music and jazz was one of them. So I have to thank them for that, for exposing my ear to other styles of music. As I continued in my musical journey, I realized that if I ever wanted to be an artist as an instrumentalist, it was either jazz or classical usually when you hear about a, a instrumentalist being an artist mm -hmm. and I uh, discovered people like Buddy Rich and, you know, uh, Gene Cooper and uh, Tito Ponte and Pancho Sanchez and all these different people who were jazz artists who were percussionists or drummers. Mm -hmm. And that really uh, opened my mind to uh, viewing just the music industry differently and what I desired to do. Uh, I still enjoy uh, backing up a good singer or artist, whether that's as a you know band director, drummer, producer. But then it was like, yo, I can do my thing too. I have something to say and there's a space for me to do that. So, yeah. Awesome. Nice, man. And, um, you know, coming up, were you originally working with mostly, you know, Cleveland-based Cleveland artists and group or were you able to network kind of a higher... Um, strength through uh through different cities like atlanta you know how did your your reach kind of expand your network that's a good question too jack uh in this music business is all about relationships mm. and and this applies to any genre of style uh whether we're talking hip-hop whether we're talking about rock relationships is is the key to the game uh, I'm touring with Gladys Knight right now. I got that gig because the drummer who used to be Gladys Knight's band director hired Joey Green, who's a good friend of mine. Joey Green brought in Leon Turner, who's mm -hmm. my little brother and good friend of mine. Leon Turner wound up becoming the 
the band director at some point, and then he brought me in. Everything is relationships in this business. Yeah. You know, it's crazy because I always tell people, you know, it's not always who you know, it's who they know and who they know. You know, that's like a huge part. And I think that's important in every career, you know, but yeah. especially in the music business, because sometimes, especially. you know, a lot of people have gotten their big break, you know, just through someone who they know. You know, maybe this guy knows somebody who knows an A&R or, you know, somebody who, you know, manages or works with this group or this artist. And, yeah, that's that could be a huge. That could be a huge, you know. Uh, pivotal moments and a lot of at a lot of people's careers and i actually wanted to ask about gladius knight how how what is it like working with her because she is she is a legend she's an absolute legend i i love her i'm a huge fan of her so tell me about uh your experience working with her yes she's a living legend absolutely uh she's a beautiful person as well you would think somebody like her would be a diva and we know many divas who are on her level but she's not a diva she's like a grandma you know she'll Mm -hmm. cook for you she gives you hugs and she's just a sweetheart you know uh, it's been a a true treat to tour with her for the last now it's probably going four and a half five years Mm -hmm. very grateful have had the opportunity to work with this living legend and uh she's also based out of atlanta Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's another thing i was gonna mention she is based out of atlanta and um yeah that's an incredible opportunity uh you are you mainly doing percussion for her uh in her shows Primarily, yes i'm doing percussion mm-hmm. uh but many people know me as uh a drum set player or you know playing drum kit yeah. but i also play percussion mm-hmm. and i've been enjoying playing percussion with her it's, it's been a, a a true treat because i percussion is usually like a horn section or a background singers it's mm-hmm. it's extra it's 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 a, a luxury and not a necessity yeah for most styles of music so it's uh it's been a re- true treat to be able to tap into that side of myself when i'm normally just playing drum kit yeah and i, I actually you know speaking of playing live um you know this is a track uh i'm gonna get into one of my favorite tracks off return to zen here in a few moments, and that track is Temple of Luxor. That is an incredible, incredible track, and I, I was watching your live performance of it on YouTube, and, you know, the passion you have for music is so visible when you're playing, when you're just in your zone, you know, and a lot of you know, music- musicians that are really energetic and, you know, in it, live performers, you know, I've talked about the passion that goes into, like, the showmanship factor of it. You know, if you've ever listened to an interview with, say, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, when he's playing bass, like, he is so dedicated, especially yeah, in, yes. in a live presence. So can you tell me what goes through your head when you're just in your zone, you're playing percussion, you're playing drums, and, you know, what adds, what goes into the showmanship of it that adds a little extra spice to that live performance? I think what helps me to get into that zone that we're speaking of is when I I'm really dedicated to the music and I let the music lead me and tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we as musicians, whether it be a singer or you know, guitarist, we want to show what we can do. And 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 you know, when we get into that zone, we're not really flowing in our natural zone, which is just this is me and accept me or don't accept me, but I'm gonna just flow the way I flow. But when I'm trying to prove something. Now you really can't get into that zone as much because you're more in your head than playing from the heart. Yeah. You know, because I'm, I'm trying to prove something. So I think I'm able to flow the best in that zone when I play from the heart and let the music guide me 
on what to play or not to play. Yeah, that makes that makes entire sense. It's almost like you're adding pressure to yourself. I'd say when, you know, you feel like you have this, you know, having a chip on your shoulder is always a good thing because, you know, it keeps you, it keeps you precise and stuff. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, I mean, you're, you're very much a guy I could tell who's just dedicated to music and loves music and loves playing. And sometimes I could see how, when you might go past that, you know, look too far past that it can get in your head and it could take away from, you know, the value of the performance or it, it both to, you know, the audience and to yourself. And to what you just said, it is a balancing act. Mm-hmm. You know, you always want it to grow and stay current and, 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 and be inspired by other people. But then when it's time for you to do your thing, even if it's something that you that was inspired from somebody else to do it your way. And that's a that's a scary thing for us sometimes to have the courage to do things our way. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes, you know, I did it my way. You know, Frank Sinatra, that's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah. Because in this life, you know, you're not going to make everybody happy, so you might as well make yourself happy at the end of the day. Yeah. That's how you want to go out of here. Frank Sinatra was definitely a guy who lived and, and breathed that motto. I yeah. always, I like talking to people a lot about, you know, how no matter what you do, no matter how successful you are, how much you give back, even if you reach a certain position, you know, how people are, there's still going to be somebody who finds some reason to dislike you or to hate you with all their heart and soul. So if you spend all that that time chasing other people's validations you're not even you're not going to feel validated by yourself you know and exactly and you and you it's a losing battle because you'll never get everybody to appreciate you the same no never some people will some people you know they'll drink your bath water but then there'll be other people that's like hey he's cool and other people that just flat out i don't like him and they have that right don't take that right from them yeah you know you focus on the people who do love you and this goes for rap jazz whatever style it's the same formula you know you have to be true to yourself and what comes from the heart reaches the heart yeah people can tell when you're authentic oh yeah yeah it's like authenticity uh you know especially in a music and you know the music business can be really two-faced and that's something that like a lot of people know and like there's a there's a really there's a really heavy temptation to like you know be inauthentic and be and you know put on a different face but um you know, and look look at a guy like Frank Sinatra. Like his music was like like you like you said from his song from his song My Way, like his music was so revolutionary, and he did things that, especially to the commercial success of what he did, it like nobody else was doing at that time. Yeah. The result the results show if you're gonna if you're gonna put out stuff that you actually enjoy making and that you're happy to make and that actually means something to you in an authentic manner. Then the results will follow. They may not event immediately, but they will eventually. If you had one fan and you and you knew you were being authentic to yourself, I think you're successful. I wholeheartedly yeah. agree. Yeah, and then if you had millions of fans and you weren't being authentic to yourself, I think you failed. I agree. Success is not measured measured in that sort of number, and that's a really really interesting perspective you have, and I and one that I wholeheartedly agree with. That's a really very very good point. Um, I wanted to also ask, um, this is a phrase that gets thrown around a lot in jazz music. So I apologize if it's a bit of a cliche, you know, to put out there, but you know, a lot of people that that talk about the healing power of jazz music and, you know, I want to know your personal thoughts coming up and being kind of raised in musical culture. You know, I want to know your thoughts on that expression, how you think jazz has that sort of effect on people. It brings so many different peoples together of different ethnic and racial backgrounds you know age range i've seen i've seen people 
you know, that have been playing since the 70s, play with people that are just fairly new into it. It's got a very, very unspoken feeling to it that brings people together. I want you to talk about uh, the healing power it has. Jack, that's a great question. Uh, Jazz does have that effect because um, it really is not I don't know if this is the right way to say it. It's not fad based. It's not like what's what's in now. You know, it's really about the art and the music. Mm. Uh, and I think that's why it allows for more diversity when we talk about listening listeners as well as musicians, because yeah. it's not attached to a certain culture or fad. It's just about the music, like classical, mm-hmm. and the jazz is American art. And um, even though it's loved all across the world, but it's American art. Mm-hmm. And I think that has something to do with it. I think music in general brings people together, but jazz is not as tightly rooted in a specific culture or brand. You know, yeah. it's, just, it's just is what it's just about music. Yeah. So I think that's that's that. But music in general is healing. I don't think people know this, but music has been known to be great uh, therapy for people. Uh, you know, you can listen to something that's upbeat and it can, you could be tired and sluggish and now you have this energy. You know, mm-hmm. that's why, you know, you hear about people playing the drums in war. You know, whether we're talking about early America or in Africa, the drums got you pumped up. We're ready to go to war. We're ready to party and dance. You know, and you listen to something that's a little more relaxing and now it kind of can take away that anxiety or stress. So it's, it's definitely been used in therapy for that reason. Also, this is a little fun fact while we're talking about the science of music and how it brings us together and how it can be therapeutic. Well, also music has been known to help develop the brain. It's one of the few things on the planet that we know that stimulates the entire brain. Nothing on earth that we know that does that. So if you were doing a math problem, a certain part of the brain lights up. If you're eating or kissing somebody, certain parts of the brain lights up. When we listen to music, the entire brain lights up. And you can find a link on this, on the the TED Talks. They did a really good uh, short documentary on what the music does to the brain. Yeah. But uh, it's a beautiful thing. This is why a lot of parents desire for their kids to learn a musical instrument like the violin or piano, not because they want them to be musicians, but they realize the power that it has on the brain. And it has been even, um, we've discovered that it helps to develop the brain as well. Yeah. And a lot of people have their kids to pick up a musical instrument. It also teaches discipline and how to express yourself, but it also develops that brain. So uh, now we're using music and neurology now to try to understand the brain better mm-hmm. you know it's it that is you couldn't have said that any better chef's kiss because i was talking to somebody yesterday about how powerful music is and they basically asked me like why what, what is your obsession with music and i'm like i look at it this way musical music in my personal opinion of course from a somewhat biased opinion is the most powerful form of art and the reason i say that is because music has the ability to save someone's life it has the ability to take someone's life it has the ability to make you sad make you happy make you cry 
It could change the entire trajectory of your day. It could ruin the entire trajectory of your day. It has this incredible power that could that could swing either way. And there's very I, I can't say that about any other art, especially one at a medium that's that accessible. You know, we, we we I mean anybody can listen to music now. You know, movies that be you're still looking you still have to rent them on on streaming, you still have to buy them a DVD, whatever. But like music has this incredible power and like you said, this this power to bring people together. You were talking about jazz music and how it's not really based in one sort of culture at this point in time. You know, it was born in New Orleans New Orleans and it just kind of lives universally. The you know, the eth- the ethnic and racial and age and whatever diversity of jazz is, ha- has no boundaries. And it's I- always been considered as a, a, a freestyle or, you know, it was never con- just connected to a certain group of people. It was just, yeah. it's a, it's a beautiful style of music. Um, and then you said something about movies. Think about it. In movies, they still have music in the background. Mm-hmm. You set the mood of that movie. Yeah. Oh my God. You 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 see with your you see with your ears is what I like to say. You know the score. A lot of people. Um. You know I know I remember the Oscars a few years ago. Um. Did a tribute to some of the best songs and scores that from film ever and how talk about how much it had. Um. It has an impact on the film. You know. A lot of people don't realize that if you take the score out of a certain movie or you take the soundtrack or the 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 song in the background the maybe a certain scene doesn't resonate the same and then not maybe it won't resonate the same especially some of those powerful ones that we know in cinema music is every music is everywhere you can't escape it and it plays such a pivotal role in everybody's lives even if they're you know particular big fans particularly big fans of music or if they're not yeah um, if, you, if you think about it if we really want to get deep with the science of music music is everywhere because music essentially is vibration Mm-hmm. Even if you go, mm, that's vibrating at, at a certain frequency. Yeah. As the frequency gets faster, because you know uh, uh, the t- the tone is being affected by the speed of the vibration. But it's everywhere. Whether you hear a car go down the street, whether you hear a bird, you know, it's everywhere. The the rhythm, how we speak, you know. The phrasing, the space in between the phrasing, everything yeah. we do, we walk, our heart, everything is a rhythm that we, we hear. Rhythm. The first beat yeah. inside of our mother. Every, every, everything. Oh, man. Music is all around us. I'm getting chills right now. I hope you know that because <laughs> now, now <laughs> you're bringing you're bringing this so full circle for me right now. And, you know, the one word I was waiting for you to bring up was rhythm. Everything mm. works in a rhythm. And like I, I was gonna say, I was actually gonna give the example of walking, but you beat me to it. You know, okay. it's yeah, you're you're absolutely correct. It it plays. You know, what we don't perceive as music can be is definitely music. You know, like you said, like you said, just getting down to the you know freq- sound waves, frequency of it, that's or, a, or patterns. You know, we have algorithms. You know, patterns. Yeah. Everything is a pattern that has a certain rhythm cycle to it, as you said. You know. Uh, some of my friends and I, we can get so uh, nerdy about it where we could see the Christmas tree lights and we'll say, what time signature is that in? You know, <laughs> you know, like, like we were like, like we get real nerdy with it. But yeah, it's, it's uh, I think maybe anybody could do that with any like if somebody was a carpenter and we looked at life through the 
eyes of a carpenter, they may say how, you know, everything is, you know, a creation or, you know, they could attach or show you how the world relates to architecture or being a carpenter. And so, you know, uh, I think it's beautiful when we can see those connections, even if you're not a carpenter and say, hey, you know what? That does make sense. You know, everything takes time and you build and eventually you have this masterpiece, you know, and, and to be able to just appreciate that even not being a carpenter, just be the saying, hey, I can see how life can be viewed in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. And, and there couldn't be any more truth to that. Seriously, man. Thank you. That was that was probably, that was one of the best conversations I've had about music with anybody. Seriously. Um, no. I want to talk. I want to also talk about um, your 2017 studio album, Return to Zen. And I can going through just a few listens. You know, it's really easy to tell that, you know, there's a lot of um, uh, bebop jazz in here. Bebop jazz influence. And, you know, and with and with jazz, particularly bebop, there could be a lot of instrumentation going on at once. Yeah. You know, so when you're in the studio, you're composing and you're working on this record. You're trying to orchestrate it together. You know, how do you align everything and execute the pacing of a really upbeat and up-tempo bebop jazz uh, track without sacrificing, like, the structure and the smoothness of it? Because there's a really... I feel like there's a very fine balance there when I'm listening to it because it can get really upbeat. It can get really up tempo and high energy, but there's still, there's still such a smooth structure. And, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking at? There's a melody to it. So I want, uh, could you tell us about your creative process when you're putting all that together? Sure. Jack, that's a great question too. You know, part of it is from, you know, practicing the art for so long mm. um, and this again applies any style whether it be hip-hop rock you know you, you're engulfed or you, you study the style and you and, and it influences you and in how you perceive music and how you you know attack music so part of it is that so many years of being in that world and and understanding how that style moves. But then another part of it is the individual side of how I hear it in my head, put my signature on it. Then when it comes to studio, unlike on stage, you have time to sit and sort of take your time in developing the, the picture or the narrative that you want people to to, to graph. It's not like on stage, everything's so, I mean, you can practice, but you know, sometimes some things that come out that you don't want to come out. And it's that specific show. You remember that show that Metallica did in, you know, 1979 in Australia. And it was something unique about that individual show. Some things that came out that were not rehearsed that made that show unique. Mm -hmm. with, with the studio, you really have time to Make sure it's exactly how you want it. And sometimes even with that, people will listen back to songs that they've created and say, you know, if I could go back and do it over, I would have did it differently. But, you know, you, you have more control to make sure it sounds like how you want it to sound when you're in the studio versus on the stage. Because if there's something that accidentally comes out, you can tweak it and say, nope, I don't want to say that. And you can just get it just like you want it in the studio. That's the beauty of the studio. Yeah. But the flip side of it too is uh, you can overproduce yourself and, 
you know, uh, you know, take out some of the the natural ways you would move because, you know, you have the ability to, you know, right. just get it just how you want it. So, sure. Uh, I'll tell you a good story. I think it was a. Uh, I think it was Whitney Houston's producer. Uh, the, the saxophone player that was on that song, he was like, you know, my intonation was a little off. It was just like a little dirty and just, ah, let me do it over. I need to clean that up. Mm. He was like, no, we can't touch that. We need to keep it. He had producer ears. Didn't mm. know what was going to serve the song and the record. He was like, I need that, what you might consider a mistake or a flaw. I need that. It's making the song come alive. As a musician, he wanted it. I need everything clean. I need it perfect. And so that's sometimes what can happen when we're in the studio. We can overproduce sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that song went to be one of the top selling songs of all time. Right. But maybe, I don't know, maybe if you let the saxophone player, you know, play a perfect solo, I don't know if it would have the same appeal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's actually a really good point is like, you know, letting it come together organically, almost. It's a much more organic feel, I feel like, when you're in the studio and you're not trying to get everything to a perfect T. You're just, you know, leave a little dirt on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Little, little rust, you know, and, and that little rust can add, like, like you said, a little bit of spice to the track, a little bit of a uh, extra kick, if you will. And I think that's a really good, I think that's a really interesting point you make, you know, and I, I can only imagine how many, how many other songs or tracks besides that one, the Whitney Houston track that, um, you know, may not have had the same or experienced the same success had they not been come out like that there actually was another track that she did and i believe uh one of the producers on there wanted to change some things up and clive davis was like absolutely not he was like no i need this i'm hearing it a certain way and clive davis says you're not touching it yeah so that's that's i think that is you know again finding a happy balance yeah, uh, she had a whole team working with her. So, you know, uh, versus when you're by yourself, you know, you sort of have to be to balance yourself and say, "Hey, walk away from this." Yeah, yeah. The collaborative effort could definitely make a huge, huge impact and the outcome of a lot of records. And another thing you mentioned, the last thing I want to touch on with that is okay. like you mentioned, like having producer ears. Like having an ear for music is not something that just comes naturally. Like you said, you've been practicing this for so, so long and you're so familiar with the genre and so familiar with certain certain instruments and how they mesh together and how different styles of playing an instrument might work well for the texture, whatever it may be of this song. And that, like you said, that's not something you can teach. That's just something that comes naturally. And that's what makes, you know, even you look at like the, the best, sometimes the best, you know, guitarist or the best drummer or whatever is not the one who just hits everything to a perfect T. It's some. It's because they have a unique style to them. You can hear uh, Jimi Hendrix play guitar, and you could tell of him apart from Carlos Santana playing yeah, guitar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something like that. That's and a good so, example. Yeah, you know, it's very, very distinct, right? Yeah. And um, you know. Moving on from that, um, I wanted to ask, as an experienced and decorated drummer, I'd say, who are some of the drummers that you're a, such a big fan of that inspired you or even influenced your style a bit? Okay. Well, we named some of them already. 
Uh, Hendrix. Also, not, not Hendrix. Um, uh, who was the one you mentioned earlier? I'm sorry. I think <laughs> I. Part. I think I said Buddy Rich. Oh Gene yeah. Cooper, Tito Puente, Pancho Sanchez, but also uh, there's Tony Williams, there's oh. Dennis Chambers, there's Vinny Cayuda. Uh, there's so many great drummers who have influenced me. And all of them weren't like technical players. Like you have Quest Love, I love him. Yeah. There's uh, Nate Smith. Uh, there's uh, I appreciate the body of work of Ringo Starr. I appreciate the body of work oh. of you know uh, Chad Smith. From, yeah. You know uh, from, from the Red uh, Hot Chili Peppers. Chili Peppers. Yeah. You know, like so. So if they hadn't played more technical, maybe those songs wouldn't be as great as they were. Mm-hmm. You know, they were able to discipline themselves to say, this is exactly what this song needs. So there's a lot of people who have influenced me, even musicians who are not percussionists. And um, there's even experiences and people in my life who have also influenced me uh, who aren't musicians, who just like their life just gave me passion and motivation to write a song, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And th- that's awesome, man. I actually want you know you mentioned Questlove actually, and I wanted to kind of I'm gonna gash your ego up here a bit, Elijah. So my next question was you know talking about a lot of the big name musicians you've shared the stage with or worked in the studio with, just to name a few: Dave Matthews Band, Machine Gun yes. Kelly, Diddy, yes. Outkast, Gladius Knight, who you you've been touring with, The Roots, and that's just to name a few examples and. You know, who are some, what are some of the most memorable experiences you've had with those? And my favorite, my personal favorite drummer is Questlove all time. It's either Questlove or Ringo Starr, and I'm a huge Questlove fan. So I was kind of wondering, among you know any of the guys I named or any other musicians you've had the chance of working with, is there any really good advice you know that's been given to you that stuck with you, or you know experiences that are really memorable for you? So when I worked with Outkast, I'll never forget this. Mm. I actually was playing bass guitar. Mm-hmm. And I drums. Um, and I was like really so concerned. Make it, you know, is this is this how you like it? Is this what is it, are you happy? You know, and he and he said, Bro, just do you. Like we called you for a reason. Like we we like you, we like your vibe. You can be yourself, you already have the gig, just do you. Yeah. And was this really- uh was this Andre or yes? Okay. Yeah. And this was uh, in my college years. Mm. They did a college performance. And he was just like, just do your thing, you know? And that always stuck out to me, you know? And I guess that can be applied to life in general, you know, just, I guess I guess it's a balancing act still at the end of the day, but, you know, they trusted me. I didn't trust me, you know? And they was just like, dude, you do your thing. Yeah. It's. I mean, it wasn't much. It wasn't a real heavy conversation. It was just... It has just always stood out in my head that he trusted me, and he was just like, "Hey, do you? You know, yeah. we, we trust you. Do you?" Mm-hmm. Sometimes we can have, like, for instance, a girlfriend in our lives, and we're like, "Are you happy? You like this? Are you are you okay? Is anything you need?" And you know, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Versus, they're like, "Yo, I'm already your girlfriend. I want you to fucking lead this shit and do you. you know what I'm saying? Like, like that's that's. That's got to be the best analogy I've heard for that. That's uh, that's to a T. 
I could go on and continue. I'm sorry. That analogy no, that, is just so perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's all. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, because, you know, I feel you, you, I can imagine, especially as a college kid, you know, you probably had a lot of pressure on yourself. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean Andre and Big Boy are legends, not in just Atlanta hip hop. And uh, Andre is the third best rapper of all time in my personal top 10. He's a legend. And at that time, they were the relevant sound. They were, that was their, oh, yeah. They were like that. The artist of that time. Oh, yeah. You know what? I, I was, it, what's crazy is I remember people forget how many Andre uh, copycats there were in the 2000s. There was actually, um, there was an old uh, tape of Future rapping in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. and he just sounded like an Andre clone, much like mm-hmm. a lot of other acts coming up at the time. But, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's got to be the most reassuring thing to hear that from, and, and, because you you forget sometimes, I feel like that you know even though you're under this guy's umbrella and you're performing for them, you know you still have you were still called for a reason. So take yeah. that creative freedom, take that creative liberty, and make it your own, and let it come naturally to add to the performance. I think that's got to be a really good. That had to have been a really good thing to hear. Yeah, I think he realized that too. You, so it was like to take that pressure off of me. Hey, we trust you. Just do you. We trust yeah. you. You know. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I love that. The last question I have today, you know, might uh, be one of the most important. And I want to ask about the Tribe of Eli mentoring program, okay. uh, which I'm also going to put a link in the description for for everybody watching in case they would like to donate or contribute to the cause. Um, but um, we, we have, we've talked a ton today about how music is such a powerful form of expression and has such an ability to bring people together. And I want you to tell me briefly about the organization, what you guys do, and how you're creating the positive impact, positive impact for all those involved. That's that's awesome. So I started the Tribe of Eli mentoring program because I realized that we struggle as a human family to be a human family. <laughs> and uh, I said, what what could we do to you know, push us forward. And I said, it'd be nice to maybe, you know, pass a law, maybe called the Heaven on Earth Act, where they teach, it's mandatory for the school systems to teach emotional intelligence, how to communicate, conflict resolution skills, cultural diversity. Because mm-hmm. uh, in early America, we did not teach that in our schools. We still don't really teach it. Like, you know, like we do math and science, where you learn that all the way to college different levels of it yeah uh so i said this needs to be more of a of a priority in our education system i said until then what can i do because everybody can complain and say what somebody's not doing so i started the program to teach those things we incorporated drum therapy or music therapy and it's been really great for our cleveland community we're going to try to take it abroad though and, Mm -hmm. and, and share the information across the U.S. and across the world. Uh, I'm actually working on a book called The Book of Eli, which will share some of the things we mm. teach in that program. Uh, but our issues in life are not math and science. Our issues are how we relate with each other, how we listen and hear each other, how we communicate with each other, how we problem solve. You know, that's our real issues when it when we, when it comes down to it. It's not math and science. Not That's no shade to math and science. I'm just saying you know, uh, it's okay to have the best technology and the best weapons, and, you know, run the, one of the tightest capitalist 
communities, that's all good, but we also need to work on being better people, mm. you know, and so it's been pretty successful. We've taken it to the House of Blues, we've taken it to Palace Theater, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and um, we've seen the impact it's, it's been on the youth, but as well as the parents come to us and say, hey, we want to learn this too. You know, we don't know how to, you know, uh, functionally communicate with our life partners and our family members. And we need to, we want to learn this too. So uh, my manager said, you know what? You really need to go ahead and, you know, put document this, put it in a book. And I'm still mastering it myself, you yeah. know, because uh, it's, it's, it's new for me. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I got hip to it when I went to uh, a counseling session with my ex-girlfriend and we were having communication issues. Mm -hmm. She was saying that I was saying things that I know I wasn't saying and that I wasn't listening to her. And I said, okay, you know what? Let's go to counseling. Yeah, maybe right. it's me. I I believed it was her, but I said, maybe it's me. So we get to counseling. They had this exercise game they had for us called the, the, the reflection game, I think it was called. Yeah. But basically uh, one person held the mirror and the other person held the microphone, which was like a brush or comb. And you could not respond until you can reflect back in the mirror what you thought they said. So they said, ladies first, tell Elijah how you feel. And she says her how she feels. And when she's done, I said, Elijah, they said, Elijah, uh, what do you think she said? And I, and I repeated it back, what I thought she said. And she said, that's not what I said. And I had a, a big cheesy smile on my face. And I looked at the counselors, I said, did y'all hear her? Well, she, she, you heard what she said. Said, Mr. Gilmore, that's not how the exercise goes. If she says that's not what she said, I said, but you heard her. They said, it doesn't matter. Maybe she speaks differently than you. Maybe she doesn't know how to communicate it effectively, but you need to figure out what she's trying to say. I said, oh, wow. So they said, actually repeat it again. She repeats it. I said, is it A plus B? She says, you're almost there. And I'm slapping my head at this point. I'm like pretty frustrated. I said, Mr. Gilmore, you cannot respond to her until you figure it out. Actually repeat it again. So this time she repeats it. And I say, is it A plus B plus C? She said, yeah, that's it. And I'm squinting my eyes. I said, I don't really think that's what you were trying to say. I think that's what you're saying because we're in front of counselors and different things like that. They said, yeah. Mr. Gilmore, you can't tell her what she was trying to say. You have to accept what she's saying for gain face value and trust her. And if you don't trust her, you have to get out the relationship. That really taught me a lot about mm -hmm. the art of communication, not just how we speak to each other, but how we hear each other. And um, that's what music is. You know, when we're, when we're on stage, I'm listening to what another musician is doing and deciding what's the best way to respond or uh, to have that conversation with the musicians around me. Um, yeah. But yeah, even in life, you know, now when somebody says, that's not what I said, I, back in the day, I would say, that is what you, you just said that. But now it's like, okay, repeat it for me again. Yeah. So I, I think it's these type of life skills that if we could teach this to our youth and even our adults, we would have a better world. We would have less family drama and less, you know, divorces and better relationships with our children and with our friends if we had these life skills. So um, I understand in early America that probably was problematic to teach things like that because that would that means I have to 
try to be understanding of what you're going through as a black man. You know, that means I have to accept gay people. That means I have to be fair to women. And that didn't work in early, that wouldn't, that wouldn't, that would be counterintuitive in early America. We don't know that's we're not going to, you know, so, but now we're evolving. We're better America. We're better world. And now those things are important. So mm-hmm. mental health in general is a, that's a, that's, that's the new wave now, you know? Yeah. How are you, how are you brother? Are you at peace with yourself? But back in the day, you could have been struggling and nobody would even had any sensitivity to even ask you how are you feeling brother? Yeah. So uh, that's what the program is about. It's been pretty successful. Like I said, the music is great because it helps with the de- development of the youth's brains, as well as it gives them a creative space to express themselves in a positive way, as well as it brings everybody together. And it's just a beautiful thing. I love that. That was that. That's incredible. You know, and, and one thing that resonates with me is that you're trying to, you know, you had to go through this period where you basically had to teach yourself to become a little more open-minded. And, you know, open-mindedness, I think, you know, you were talking about all these things that, you know, you think you should be taught in school and the way you, I could not agree more. You know, we put, we, there's a lot of, you know, controversies about, you know, what should we be teaching our kids in school? Conflict resolution, you know, that, when you said that, that stuck with me. People don't know how to, a lot, a lot of people don't know or aren't properly taught how to communicate effectively, there is no, and, and you, a lot of people might say like, oh, debate classes are that. Well, no, that's not, that's not the format in which an actual conversation, you know, like if you yeah, and I yeah, were to bump each other into the, into the street, that's not how an actual conversation would take place, you know? And I think that's an important thing to remember and to realize that like, this is, we need to teach our, and the fact that you had these adults coming to you after, you know, saying that we need, we weren't, we aren't great with the stuff either. It, it, it strikes the it strikes a different note, I'd imagine. Absolutely, because emotional intelligence is putting yourself in that person's seat and trying to see things from their perspective. Because we always want people to see things from our perspective. Yeah. Not realizing that people would be probably more likely to be open to what you have to say when you first can show them that you care what they have to say. Oh, absolutely. The best, the smartest men, the smartest men I know are the best listeners I know. And that's always been how that's always been how it is, you know. We think, you know, what I'm going to impress you by having this long, drawn out dissertation. I'm just going to just impress you with all my, you know, everything I have to say, and and you actually impress a person more when you show that you care about what's going on with them, and you can be a good listener, mm-hmm. and, and 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 be interested in them. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's where I think that's where a lot, like you said, that's a lot, a lot of conflicts and problems are rooted in. And the fact that you're, you know, it almost sounds like you're using, you're just using uh, music as a medium because you're so familiar with it to bring. But the objective is not so much the music; it, it's part of it, but bringing people together and teaching people skills like conflict resolution, problem solving, effective communication, especially kids at such a young age. You know, absolutely. That's the most yeah. development. Oh, excuse me, developmental point of your life. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I got a little excited. I didn't mean to cut you off. Were you done? No, go. Yeah, I'm good. Go right ahead, man. Oh, so, 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 yeah, music is a powerful tool that we artists can use to push our world forward or to slow up the progress. You know, uh, so I don't think we always are thinking in those terms. We don't want that responsibility. We just want to be artists. Yeah. But we don't realize what we say or don't say 
can affect our entire human family. Yeah. So I, I really applaud the, the artists who really were conscious or were uh, 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 responsible with their gifts, like the Beatles, like Michael Jackson, like Bob Marley, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying these guys were perfect, but yeah. they actually tried to push us forward and use their music in a positive way uh, so that we can be a better human family. And that's pretty much what I thrive to do as well. And um, everything that I create is not, doesn't have a message. And some things are just, I'm expressing myself as an artist, yeah. but as much as I can, you know, uh, push us forward. You know, I feel we have a responsibility, those who, who, who know better and um, who have the ability to be a leader because that's something everybody, everybody's not a leader. I get that. Yeah. So uh, one day at a time, one minute at a time is what I say. You know, everyone would ask me about the, the incident that just happened with, uh, what was the guy's name? It just got killed by all the police in Akron. Oh, um, oh my goodness. Um, yeah, he, he, oh my goodness. It's, it's slipping, slipping my mind. I apologize. But yeah, he, he got out and he, they put how many, like 60 bullets into him. I'm something, thinking something like, insane like that. Something like that. Uh, let me see something. Jalen Walker. Jalen Walker. Walker. I was looking it up too. Jalen. Yeah. Walker. Okay. Yeah. So I, first of all, I want to thank our police for putting their lives on the line for us every day. You know, we will never know what that's like when your life can be taken in just a, a second, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, so thank you. Thank you for the people who went to war for us as well. Our soldiers, uh, I do think there should be a, a, a tighter screening process because you shouldn't be able to be a police and be racist. No, not at all. You know, so, you know, <laughs> you shouldn't be able to, you know, uh, be, uh, protect our community and you have something against Muslims, like, like just yeah. like that. So I think there should be a tighter screening process because those type of people can, it's easy for them not to value your life because I don't respect you as my equal. And I think that, you're not important like that. So I can't just put a bullet in you. It's nothing. So I think we need to have a, a tighter screening process as it relates to that. Mm. Maybe even there should be some training on when you're afraid, when is the right time to, you know, like there's people argue that they didn't really need to put that many bullets in him, that they could have just, oh. once he started dropping to the ground, I, I don't know. I think we can always improve. I don't know all the answers. But I just know that we've come a long ways, and and you know this this thing may take a little bit, you know, because we've been operating so dysfunctional so long that sometimes it takes a minute for the good habits to kick in yeah. and for us to get to where we need to be. But we can't lose hope. Every day, we need to just speak positive and and and, and keep working towards being critical thinkers and figuring out how we can make our society uh better and that's that's all we can do because it, it, it's the 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 other thing that we can do is we can give up and we can just go to war with each other and say fuck it and everybody's fighting each other and that doesn't and that get never ends well yeah. never if it if there's a peaceful if there's a peaceful solution available it should always be the first option and i wholeheartedly agree man and 
you know, one thing I wanted to comment on, I agree with everything you said, by the way, that was beautifully said. Um, when you talked about uh, screening police officers ahead of time, you know, before coming in, it's it's really interesting you mentioned that. And I think and I think it can be taken as a lesson. Look at um the Ahmad Arbery case from, you know, a year and some change ago, however long it was just a black man jogging through a neighborhood uh, seen as a threat by three guys who just beat him to death. And, but, it, but, and, and the war, if one of those guys, this is a different instance, of course, but if one of those guys were to become a police officer, he shouldn't be able to because you look at all, if you go on their Facebook pages, they were talking about this in the court evidence. There was a ton of stuff about them posting racial, racially charged remarks towards uh, black people. You know, one guy commenting um, something towards a BLM protest, you know, uh, downtown in a city, like stuff like that. The warning signs are there. And I think that should be taken a lot more into accountability if you would choose to enter the police academy or choose to enter our protective forces. You know, that's definitely something to take into account. I love that you mentioned that. It's extremely important to me. But I, I celebrate the small, the small uh, victories as well. I've seen mm. our world where it was and where we are now. When, when, uh, what was the guy who uh, the police was on his neck? I can't think of his. Oh, George Floyd. George Floyd. How people in the UK, people over in Europe, we're like, this is not cool. Yeah. Like, and I'm talking about white Europeans. Yeah. Who, like, who were like, yo, this is not cool. So I celebrate the baby steps. Like, I celebrate everybody's not a racist. And there's people who are saying, yo, we got to do something about this. So that's a step forward. Absolutely. got to focus on, you know, the, we got to celebrate the small victories because it's going to bring more positivity if yeah. we keep complaining about what's not happening but what is happening yeah you know and look at I, both sides equally look at both sides yeah. in all fairness yeah, yeah. and yeah you're right and there's a lot of, there's a lot of baby steps that that have been taken you know little victories like you said these guys white guys white european guys this has no direct impact of any sort on their life but they're looking at it and they're like this needs to change we this shouldn't even, this shouldn't even have in to be a slavery thing. absolutely even in slavery, you had the Quakers who were helping free the slave. They were like, this is yeah. So we can't just blanket everybody and say, you know, white people this. No, no. There are people who may be white, who may be Christian, who may live in America, who may be racist, but that's not everybody. Yeah. And there's good people out here. Uh, and I, I've had some friends between you and I uh, who've said to me, Elijah, why are you so concerned with, you know, bridging the gap between the people who have oppressed us for so many years. Why don't we just focus on getting our own school systems, our own communities? Why don't we, you know, you, because everybody has a different purpose in life. You know, you, we need the black Panthers that are going to say, you're not going to come in our communities and murder us. And you need those type of people and you need people to say, Hey, I'm going to help build our community. And then you need people to say, Hey, what can we do so we can all get along? No matter what your background is, you need it all. There's not like there's not like one thing that's more important than the other. And that's my one of my purposes. So, you know, um, I think if we just say we're going to build the African-American communities and we're going to have our own and we're going to separate the lines. I don't know if that how healthy that is, because we'd be taking steps backwards. The way I see it. 
you know that's it there's no then you're you're putting yourself no different from 70 years ago now i'm not saying there's nothing wrong with building our community and mm. and, and not you know we can't keep saying he's not helping me well he doesn't have to he is not old to help you so yeah get your own get your build your own cool but i still think it's important for us to be able to get along no matter what our what our backgrounds are yeah if we want to achieve world peace and you know and that's just the bottom line you know we got to be able to say hey it doesn't matter if you're muslim jewish christian atheist white black yellow doesn't matter we're all one human family and we need to learn how to coexist yeah and it's a and i think that was all so beautifully said and that's you know i'm that i i can literally see myself coming back to this conversation on my own time because Mm -hmm. this is these are the these are the conversations that need to be had not a lot of people are com- are comfortable having this and you and you being so outspoken about that and so confident and and so confident and you know keep keeping yourself open minded and being you know active in this sort of stuff that we need more of that so thank you so thank you for all- thank you yeah thank you. no thank you Elijah because this has actually been one of my favorite interviews we've done and i want to i want to say thank you so much for coming on again thank you for your time this I didn't expect it to run this long, but I'm glad it did. And yeah, thank you, Jack. And go Browns! I see, I, I see yeah. the Browns back there. I was yeah. wonder, I was wondering if you notice. It's actually, yeah, yeah. I'm not yes, even, sir. I'm not even gonna lie to you. The poster's a little crooked, and you can't see. But no, I a, can see it well. I've been waiting. I've been holding it in. Well, I said, well, what you can't see is it's torn on the other side. <laughs> so I got to get a new one, man. I got to get an updated one because that one's been there for like, it was my dad's old poster actually, 15 mm. years or so, man. But yeah, I'm, hey, I'm a big fan of all things Cleveland. Always, you got to support where you're from. Who else will? Yeah, yeah. Bad dog that can't wag, wag his own tail, and we have so many things to to be grateful about our city. Like people don't know, like our city actually rocks. Seriously, no, seriously. Does anybody who doesn't know why Cleveland rocks go to thisiscleveland.com? Mm-hmm. You know, in uh, in in and discover how beautiful our city is. Yeah. I can I know people that have moved from places to like Los Angeles to Chicago to Miami all the way down here that like it more than the than there. I'm so serious on that too. That is not made up. There's yeah. a lot of beauty here, man, and a lot and a lot of really really talented, really really amazing people here. Uh, and so with yes, that, sir. I wanted to close out. Say thank you so much for coming on again. If you guys are interested, look in the d- description. We're gonna have a link to his studio album, Return to Zen. Also a link to his website, his socials, as well as the um, as well as the Tribe of Eli program, which you guys can donate to as well. Elijah, thanks so much, Scott. Thanks so much, Jack man. Kent, can I can I add one little thing in there? Absolutely, go right ahead. I know that I know I know that you love hip hop, and my new music will have hip hop influence in it, or it will be fused into the jazz. So I thought I'd let you know that. Oh yeah, jazz. I've I've listened to a lot of jazz rap over the last decade. There's a jazz rap has been very prominent over the last decade. Not a lot of people realize it. There's a lot of good jazz rap groups out there. They are so interfused, intertwined, and I love and I and that's why you know I I love every genre of music. This channel has always been focused on hip hop and um and rap, but my love for music extends far beyond that. That's why I wanted to have you on, man, because you got a, you're a brilliant you're a brilliant guy. You're a brilliant musician, and I appreciate you being on, man. Thank thanks, so, thanks so much for watching, everybody. This is Jack Bender from Bar for Bar signing off.